I'm so happy to be back on here. I hope everyone is having a good day. Well, unfortunately, the world is back at it again. I'm not happy to report this back to y'all, but at least it gives us some little things to chit-chat about during our smoke sesh. Um, my day has been pretty good today. Like I said in the last episode, I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate my life during the colder months, and I've really been enjoying, like, taking my dogs on walks and seeing the fall leaves, and the world is just such a beautiful place, and I feel like a lot of us are so caught up in our phones or our cars, and you just never really get to sit and appreciate the beauty of the world. So if you can, just make sure to take some time to like stand in the sun while it's still sunny or go look at nature today because the further into the year we get, the darker it's going to get. I have a lot to discuss with you guys and I feel like I'm going to have to smoke a bowl before I start with all of this. <sighs> I'm still loading my bong with more herbs, guys, because it keeps me sane. Um, right now my bowl, I have dandelion and mugwort. I recommend for you all to try like the smoking herbs because it is so good. You can also put them in hot water and drink them as tea. Okay, so we have an update on the Kim K and Ray J scandal. So apparently there were two sex tapes filmed in two different locations. And it was Kris Jenner's idea to be like, hey guys, let's film two tapes for security. And she chose which one she wanted to release. I think the situation is crazy because they said she was there during the filming and she watched both tapes in order to choose and it it I mean she sold her daughter's body for fame and I can just imagine her being like come on Kimmy moan a little more to the left <sighs> that, that's just a crazy family but anyway guys we have a lot to unpack here Yesterday, I made the mistake of looking at my ex's Instagram, and let this be a lesson to all of you guys on why you should try not to don't do that. <laughs> I feel like this is another example of how social media is a breeding ground for insecure people, and I am not one of God's strongest soldiers, okay? If something pops up in my mind or pops up on my feed, I am going to look it up. We should all just stop doing that, and I think we all need better discipline. I'm going to be your mommy right now and tell you to stop looking up your exes on social media, and there are so many reasons for that, but my personal reason is that I am weak, okay, and it does hurt my feelings, but we have good exes and bad exes, so some of them I'm happy to see them happy and glad that can go ruin someone else's life. I wish you the best just not with me and we do so much in our lives to find peace and closure and try to be happy but for humans to be such smart creatures we sabotage ourselves so much and I'm here to tell you guys how to stop self-sabotaging and how to start living your life for you and listen listen 
it's okay to be a hater. I hate on people all the time because life is funny and embarrassing. And I like to do a little gossip with my friends. But we need to stop self-sabotaging and start with the self-actualization, okay? Every time you want to look up your ex on Instagram, go smoke a joint, go read a book, or literally just do anything that will distract you. Because I'm so tired of hurting myself and I don't want you guys to hurt yourselves either and this doesn't only apply to exes it applies to family friends everyone whoever hurt you you need to let that shit go because the best revenge is living your life and being happy and they can stay mad forever and listen guys I'm one of you and I know it's hard so I'm gonna give you some tips and things that have helped me move on from stuff that has hurt me in the past you don't deserve to carry that weight anymore and I don't think any of us do and if we keep carrying the hurt and the weight of those things you're reliving the pain and the trauma of the past and keeping it alive in the present it will keep hurting you if you don't let it go and I know it's hard to find peace but eventually you have to stake Take a step back and be like, I don't want to hold on to this anymore and I don't want to live this way anymore. And eventually you stop feeling sorry for yourself and start like feeling empowered. Anything in this world you want to change about your life, you literally have the power to change it. I mean, it's your life. And for all of my little fairies out there that don't know, I just went through a breakup. And I took some time to process and heal from it before I even had the power to write this episode. And basically, I just broke up with my ex of two years because he couldn't move and change and grow up with me. And I'm 18 now. I'll be 19 in January. And you change a lot during that time. 17 to 18 is one of the biggest changes in your life alongside like going through puberty. And when we first got together, I didn't love myself and my standards were low. And I settled and allowed him to do a lot of things that I shouldn't have. And I just want to pause and say that for a second, can we just please start listening to our friends and our parents and our pets when they tell us things and spot the red flags before we do? I feel like we all need to form a council. And this is why community is so important because I have my own council of people that I consult before I do things like if I like a guy or want to dye my hair I'm usually talking to two or three friends before I do it and I think we all need a little more community in our lives like we are not made to make all of these powerful and emotional decisions by ourselves anyway so back to the story When we got together, my standards were really low, and as I got older and went through things and grew as a person, the amount I cared about myself and the bar that I required for people to meet to be around me got higher. And let me just list out some of the things that this man did to me, and this podcast is all about being no holes barred, and I'm not embarrassing anybody but myself here, so let me think. I moved out of my parents' house when I was 17. And I had my own place and was living my sweet little life, but I had a toxic landlord who was renting to a minor and he would take advantage of me and my money. So after dating for a while, this boyfriend I had was 16 at the time and he was like, you should move in with me. So I met his family and they were cool and everything and seemed normal, but that's the thing, like they always seem normal. But things started getting crazy as soon as I moved in. 
So I packed up all my stuff and took my little dog Topaz and things were pretty chill at first. Like we were doped up on all the love chemicals of living with him and his family and they just thought I was so great and so good for him. And so after the dust settled a little bit, that's when things started getting crazy and the real him started to show through. The insecure man. And I'm not here to badmouth anyone on this podcast. I'm just speaking about my experience. So if he ever hears this, hopefully it will cause this man to do some much needed critical thinking and do some self-analysis because y'all, he needs it. So I go there and the mom welcomes me and then literally a couple days into me living there she starts crying to me about all of her problems with her son and all of his behavioral problems and how he verbally abuses her and how she just doesn't understand how she gave birth to such an evil child. And you can always tell a lot about a man from how he treats his mom because it's a guideline for how he will treat you and treat other women. Okay. So I'm not understanding because I'm like thinking he's such a sweet guy and that he doesn't treat me that way and that that doesn't sound like him. Newsflash, guys, it was the real him. So he would do various things like kick me out of the room or the bed anytime we had an argument. He would threaten me or like hold a place to live over my head. And this is why I will never put myself in a situation like that again because being there allowed me to save a lot of money and I wouldn't be where I am now today if I didn't go through that but having a place to live being connected to my relationship was just not healthy because when you guys might be bumping heads you have nowhere else to go and yeah like so many red flags that I ignored there but I digress This man had severe childhood trauma and anger issues and he would get mad and have like these emotional explosions at me or his family all the time. Y'all, he pushed his mom down these stairs and I'm just sitting at the sidelines watching like this is crazy. But red flag number two, bad emotional regulation. So one time he got mad at me because I wasn't listening to something he was saying and y'all, he trapped me in a closet, literally like he formed an X over the door with his arms and legs so I couldn't get out. And so I just sat on the ground and started crying like I can't believe this is happening to me. And I cried on the ground and tried to return my mind back to the safe place that it was. So he's seeing me crying and we're in a relationship. So I've been very open with him about my traumas related to small spaces and how bad it makes me feel to be trapped and he did it anyway so fast forward I would make the bed every day I did all the cleaning in the room that we shared and helped out around the house the best that I could um I did our laundry I literally did everything and his family didn't cook much so they would always eat kind of like pre-made stuff or eat out so I brought over my African-American seasonings and I brought over my vegan skills and I would cook dinner for us most nights and I'm talking like full spreads like beautiful meals homemade bread five courses everything and I would do all the dishes and the cleanup too 
and he rarely ever helped me. And part of this is my fault because my dad didn't do much around the house growing up. And my mom, being like the strong queen that she is, she was always hanging things and installing ceiling fans and cooking and cleaning. And that was on top of working like a full-time job, y'all, a literal nine to five. So I had this example of like this strong, independent woman around me. And I grew up thinking that it was okay and that I needed to do that too. And that was another way I failed. Guys, like if you're in a partnership with somebody and you are in love, they should not be letting you do everything by yourself. Like that's the primary meaning of partnership. It's like, I'm here for you and you don't have to do this thing by yourself anymore. And I want to help you, like not because I doubt your ability to do it alone, but because I love you enough to want to do it together. And that's something I was missing in that relationship. And like I said, part of that is my fault for dating a man just like my dad. But we live and we learn, I guess. So soon after, like the boyfriend started acting crazy and showing his true colors, the mom did too. And I guess I never really connected the pieces because he was such a hurt and broken person. And I never took the time to ask who did this to him. And we are nothing but a reflection of what we saw in our childhoods. And we owe it to ourselves and our families to be better. And someone has to end that pain and break that cycle. And I promise you guys are strong enough to do it. Okay, so the mom was so normal and so kind at first. And I couldn't believe all the stuff that he was telling me. And I was so shocked and hurt like about what he went through as a child and he didn't deserve that y'all like nobody does but the mom had so many problems she would only shop at Whole Foods and literally gag at food from Kroger or anything that wasn't organic and white privilege problems aside like she had a lot of emotional blockages and she was in denial about a lot of things 90% of the time and I met a lot of people who would rather live in denial but I've never understood why and she seemed like such a kind and put together person from the outside and she would like take me to yoga and we would go out to lunch and shop for plants and she just seemed so normal I guess I just couldn't piece it together that this like I don't know, seemingly successful, kind, and complete person would do all those things that he was telling me, but I guess she was putting on a mask just like her son, and her true colors came out in, like, the little things, like, arguments that they had or stories that she would tell me, and if her son, I guess we can call him redacted, if he didn't do the dishes or something, she would be like, Lena, like, I don't think this is going to work, you have to find somewhere else to go, like redacted isn't doing his schoolwork he's refusing to do his chores and I had to bring her back to reality and be like girl he is a teenage boy he is not gonna do it anyway whether I live here or not and they would butt heads all the time and he would like call her names and say how much of a bitch she is and the fights would normally end with her crying and it was just also horrible and hard to watch and so then we would have problems and he would say the same stuff to me like this man literally I'm pretty sure he hated women and I don't know why I tolerated that and it's crazy because the main people who hate women love to fuck them they really do and there were a lot of things that I missed and look back on later on like he was always really secretive and he didn't want me to see his room and always hit his phone or laid it face down 
and he was getting likes and messages and DMs on social media all the time. And I didn't think anything of it because I don't really use social media and I didn't follow him online to like know what he was doing. And I trusted him and I know that social media isn't real, so I didn't care. That was another way that went wrong because y'all. I should have looked and I was so secure in my relationship and my attachment style and most of all like I was happy to have a place to live and be surrounded by like this beautiful family so I just wasn't worried about anything else and they had a beautiful home like it was downtown and it was historic and it had like a clawfoot tub and I would take my little bubble baths every night and it had so much natural light in a big yard and I was surrounded by so much like kindness and beauty that I wasn't used to and I didn't know what to do with it and I appreciate his family for letting me live with them and extending that kindness and like that privilege to me and I do believe that we should use our privilege to uplift others but yeah she was crazy and one time he didn't do the dishes so she took all the dishes out of the sink and put them in our room on the floor and it smelled so bad and they literally sat there for days until he washed them and I would be like redacted like do you want me to help you do you just want me to wash the dishes and he's like no like I have to do it myself and then he would literally never do it so then I finally moved out of there and into my own place which is where I'm at now and when I moved out months ago I took him with me and I drove him to school and to therapy every week and he literally still cheated multiple times and I was just trying to teach him that if you can't count on anyone or you can't count on your family you can always count on me and I will always be there for you to lean on and y'all he did not pay a single cent of rent he didn't help me cook or clean once and I I let him guys he played games all day and ate my food and smoked my weed and I let him and I eventually went through his phone and discovered, like, dozens, literally millions of DMs with girls on Instagram where he was flirting and saying that he was single and he was sexing about the things he wanted to do to them. And the stuff I saw was dating back, like, our entire relationship. And mind you, like, we had been together for over a year at this point. So I'm thinking, like, you didn't even give me a chance. And he had been smiling in my face and cheating online for years. And the whole thing just made me kind of sick to look at. Sick that I loved him and sick that I trusted him. And I was literally so sad at seeing all of this stuff that I vomited, y'all. Like I said, this is my flop, okay? I vomited in front of everybody at work. Because I was so frustrated and I had to be sent home. Like sometimes, guys, I'm a sensitive person. And when people are really emotional people, um, sometimes stuff that I see can just make me sick to my stomach. So I had to be sent home. And we worked at the same place at the time. And he literally watched and he knew that it was all because of him. And when I confronted him, he was literally smiling when I'm like crying in front of him and I'm like this is a serious and hurtful situation why are you smiling and I probably should have realized then that I was dealing with a fucking psychopath and he cheated on me many many times and I forgave him many many times 
but when he cheated on me, I cried to his mom, and she took his side on everything, and suddenly I was cast out of the family that I had been a part of for so long, and I dated this man for years. Guys, I literally lived with him, and you have to get really close to somebody to you know, be like, I like you enough to let you come live with me. And they all called me crazy and said that I was no good for him when literally months ago she was telling me that I was too good for him. And she was saying, like, I couldn't believe that I gave birth to such a horrible child and why doesn't he love me? And they all hated me. And I felt like I had nothing but when we lived together, it started getting crazy because I realized then that he was an enmeshed child. And for those of you that don't know, enmeshment and the real name for it is emotional incest. That's what it's really called. And that's what it really is. Enmeshment is just kind of the softcore term. And it describes family relationships that lack boundaries and the roles and expectations between parents and kids are switched or blurred and confused and the parents are inappropriately reliant on their children for support and the child is burdened with the weight of their parents feelings and they're not allowed to become emotionally independent or separate the parent and the child basically function as one full unit and so things started getting crazy when his mom would copy me like, if I made chocolate chip cookies at my house, she would make her own and be like, redacted, please come back home. Or I had a specialty vegan meal that I made up, which is basically chickpeas smothered in herbs and olive oil over rice. And she would text him and be like, hey, redacted, I made chickpeas and rice, I miss you. And even when I lived with them all, like, she would do stuff and things that made me feel some type of way because it felt like she was trying to be his girlfriend or trying to compete with me. She would wash his clothes, make his bed, sort his socks, and, like, beg him to hang out with her. And it escalated very quickly. And it was way more than just copying my food to, like, entice him to come home. And that's why these enmeshed kids are so damaged because it's like you're dating the parent, too, and this is kind of crossing into boy mom territory. A boy mom is basically a mom that makes her whole life and personality about being a mom to boys specifically. And it's some kind of like weird sexism and stereotype thing. Like his mom was his girlfriend. And so the way it works is basically the mom inappropriately confides in the child about adult problems or about work or about relationships. And they... It, that's where the emotional incest comes in. They form this inappropriate relationship with the child. And whenever, in this case, whenever Redacted is trying to move on, it's hard for her to see him happy and hard for her to let go. And that should have been one of my signs to leave too. But alas, my stoner friends, I thought that I could heal him. I thought that if I stuck around long enough, I could fix him into the man that I deserved so we broke up and because he cheated on me again and this time when we broke up I literally wanted to die I tried to commit unalive y'all I was in a lost place and I tried again to lean on him for support and he talked me off the ledge and we got back together and I fell into that trap again 
And I eventually found out that he lied to his family and told them that I suicide baited him to get him to get back together with me. And mind you guys, we literally had no one. I wasn't talking to my family. He wasn't talking to his family. And this was during COVID. So we were quarantining together and we got so close that we became all each other really had. And when he cheated on me, I didn't just lose a boyfriend. I lost my partner, my family, my best friend. And I lost everything that we had made together and everything that I had worked so hard to fix. And so we had both been so alone and so hurt for so long that we lived in kind of like a bubble. And I loved that bubble when it was good. And I wanted to die for many reasons, not just because of him. Like, I hated my job. I hated my body. I hated my life. And I didn't have anybody. He was all I had. And when he cheated on me, he broke our bond and threw away, like, the life that we built together and the life that I had fought so hard to keep, so hard to improve. And it's just like, guys, it's never easy to find out that your bond meant more to you than it did to that person. Like, I thought we were deeper than that. I thought we were in love. But he tracked my location, controlled my body, like influenced what I wore, and he trained me to be the perfect, skinny, dick-sucking, housewife fantasy. And I fell into that role willingly. I try not to beat myself up about it because our inner monologues can be so evil and so painful. And I would tell myself things like, I'm a failure, I'm ugly, I'm an idiot, I'm a loser, and how could I have not seen this coming? all of that horrible stuff, and I would wake up every day and say, I don't deserve this, I don't deserve to live, and who am I if my relationship failed, and what does that say about me, and if he doesn't love me, no one will, and I read in this book, it was some book about cheating, or some article, or something that basically said that women are more likely to internalize their pain when they're cheated on, and beat themselves up, and be like, what's wrong with me, what did I do, and men are more likely to externalize their pain when they're cheated on, like, be like, oh, like, this stupid bitch, something's wrong with her, she's crazy, da-da-da-da-da, so I'm just gonna let that speak for itself, but I realized one day that, like, if I wouldn't talk to a friend or a child like this that was in pain, then why am I saying these things to myself? And I told him all of this, and he didn't support me or hold me the way that I had held him literally for years. And I had fixed him and did none of the work on myself. I fixed his eating disorder. I drove him to therapy. I gave good head. I was always a shoulder to cry on. But when I was weak and I needed him, he wasn't there. And he didn't want me anymore because I was so damaged. So, yeah, I tried to unalive myself. And in his mind, that was just another way for me to trap him. And these insecure men and enmeshed children, they feel like everything and everyone is trying to trap them because the parents smothered them for so long. And so... I called out to him and reached out to him because he was the last person I could think of for help. So I did everything. I wrote a suicide note and I gave all of my pets a bunch of food in case it took some time for them to find me. And I called off work and I had my ropes tied up and I was ready. 
I was ready to be released from hating my life every day, released from him not wanting me and free from it all. And a lot of us like to shame people for committing unalive and hate them. But in reality, it is like the easy way out. And on that day, it was harder for me to live and to keep going than to just like let go. And we all want to let go. And I feel for the people who gave their lives away because living is hard. And there are a lot of us that want to take the easy way out because it takes courage to keep going every day. And at the time, I didn't have that. And so I called him and he talked me off the ledge and then he villainized me and victimized me to the world. I don't really remember a lot of things from that time, but I loved him and uplifted him and brought him to the top of the building with me, and he tried to push me off. He took away my happiness, my sanity, and he isolated me from the people around me. And this man had no social life, no friends, and he hated and made fun of everybody, and I turned into the same thing. Like, I was in that bubble, and I made fun of everyone with him, and it's like, oh, they don't understand us, and the world is so stupid, and everyone's so dumb, and I was the me that he created, and he threw me away when he was done with me. But after he talked me off the ledge, we got back together and I read all of the books and did all of the work to fix myself and to stay alive. And I'm a better person today. And when I was doing all that stuff, he stayed the same and he stayed the same guy who cheated on me and the same guy who hurt me. So I basically girl bossed my way into oblivion. I started hobbies. I made friends. I got pets. I got plants and I did everything I could to love my life. I painted my house, I cleaned my car, I ate good food, and eventually I was strong enough to just leave him. So we got back together and broke up again recently, and I just decided that like I was done and that I was done choosing him and ready to start choosing me. And y'all, I am 18. I have chosen this man every day for years, literally years, and a year's a long part of your life, and I don't want to go on blocking out the potential love of my life or blocking out like the the community and togetherness that I'm seeking, wasting my time on this guy. And so for those of you that might feel like you have no one to talk to or no support system to fall back on, like I'm here for you. I know that you can do it and create a life that you deserve and live a life that makes you want to keep living. So I don't care if you need to DM me and talk to me. Y'all, I'm here to listen to you. One book that really helped me and saved me in a way was called How to Be an Adult in Relationships, The Five Keys to Mindful Loving. It's by David Richo. And there are so many amazing like quotes in this book. One of my favorites being that we do not outgrow our early needs rather than they become less overwhelming and we find less primitive ways to fill them. For example, an infant may need to be cradled and carried while an adult may be satisfied with a supportive remark and a kindly glance. Sometimes a lifelong need can be fulfilled by such little moments of mindful love. However, we still need to be cradled at times. When past issues arise, they come with a sense of being real in the present. It helps to refile them in the mental folder of the past. I feel this way because of something long gone that I have not fully dealt with. 
Next time, facing past issues will be easier and gradually the old thoughts and old reflexes will yield to the liberating radiance of consciousness. We live in the present of this and now rather than the past of never again or the future of not yet. Touching, frightening, or humbling recollections linger in our memory a lifetime long. We are never through with the past, the humdrum of yesterday, yes, but not that morning long ago when someone left us so suddenly, not that afternoon when someone stayed with us so loyally, not that evening someone touched us so wrongly, not that night when someone wept with us so strongly. The past is not through with us. No, not ever gone, all of then, and not yet shall fade with all of this. Mature people go from best to worst and back to the center many times. To accept this as a fact releases us from taking a partner's behavior too personally, from blaming and even from fearing all the ways of letting go of ego. And even the chapter titles of this book, guys, they are so good. Okay, we have The Power of Mindfulness, Unconditional Presence versus the Five Mindsets of Ego, When We Deny What We Were Deprived, what hurts us comforts us. A heroic journey. Am I cut out for close, intimate relationships? Qualified candidates for relationships. Full disclosure. Sexualizing our needs. When romance is addictive. What love feels like. Working things out. The past and the present. Healthy anger. Fears rush in and dangers do too. Engulfment and abandonment. Learning from our fears. Jealousy, infidelity, and dealing with disappointment. Letting go of ego. Anatomy of the arrogant ego. Anatomy of the impoverished ego. Saying yes to the things we cannot change. Our commitment and how it deepens. When relationships end. Moving on with grace when somebody leaves you. This book is really good, guys. Like I said, I'm going to start a Stoner Fair reading list. So check it out. We're about to get into some, into some more like heavy topics here. So let me smoke another bowl before we get into this. <coughs> Guys, I got that za. <laughs> okay, so the thing about these insecure men is that they can literally be insecure about anything. They may, they may be insecure about their height or their general appearance, their familiar relationships. And a lot of men are insecure about women who make more money than them or are more successful than them. Or they get a bad bitch and don't know what to do with it. <laughs> they may be jealous of other men. And these guys are literally walking networks of insecurity and I know we all struggle with jealousy and insecurity and feeling like we're not enough those are normal in normal emotions but these insecure men are like extreme versions of that it's okay to feel insecure sometimes but when it's hurting others like you need to distance yourself and let go so I made a list of signs to look out for so we can get better at spotting these men before they infiltrate our lives. Okay, so you want to look out for cheating or attention seeking, constant fears and paranoia. When guys have no friends, no hobbies, that's a red flag. When they're jealous or when they're accusing you of things that you aren't doing, when they gaslight you or project their issues onto you, like anytime I was going through something or had a problem with anything that my ex did, he would always call me a victim. 
and living with his family and knowing him for long enough, I realized that that was something that his mom would do to him. And so he was obviously just projecting there. So you also want to look out for threats and surveillance. Like he would constantly want me to text him where I was at and he would constantly check my location. It's always a red flag when they can't take constructive criticism or they spend your critiques of them back on you. Like if I say, oh, redacted, you never listen to me when I say blank, blank, blank. And they're like, well, you didn't listen to me when I said blank. And so, like, if they can't focus on the issues at hand, you need to leave them. And when they're constantly comparing you or themselves to people around them, like I said, I didn't get on social media, but my ex was literally a social media addict. He would be on Instagram all the time and be scrolling through all of these girls' pictures and be posting pictures of him and stuff on his story, seeking validation all day, every day. And I just want to warn you that you cannot fix an insecure man okay nobody can fix him that process is internal to him and nothing will help him and no woman that has said I can fix him has ever succeeded no person that has ever said I can fix him has ever succeeded these people are ticking time bombs and you need to avoid them at all costs okay Insecure men will destroy you and your relationship before you even know what is going on. And these are the guys that say stuff like, oh, I don't deserve you or you're too good for me. And they have no self-worth and they will resent you for everything, anything in them. And they will hate you and treat you horribly, but also cling to you desperately. And these aren't only for like men, like there are women like this out there too. I think we should all just avoid these types of people. And hopefully that list will help you spot them before you get in too deep. And I used to be so upset with myself. Like, I wish someone would have told me sooner that the end of a relationship does not mean you failed. If you loved and you evolved, it means you got what you needed and moved on. And it's a success in its own way. I feel like this kind of ties into attachment theory a little bit. Because there are four attachment styles, guys. Um, let's see. Secure, anxious, avoidant, dismissive, and avoidant, fearful. And for my little fairies that don't know, attachment theory was coined by, I think his name was John Bowlby. And it's basically the psychological and evolutionary theory that children come into this world, like, biologically pre-programmed to form attachments with others. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but it's kind of like the nature or nurture argument. So they form these attachments with others because this will help them survive. And a child has a need to attach to one main figure in their lives. And this will be the guideline for their attachments with others throughout the rest of their lives. So the child's physical and emotional needs are satisfied. They become securely attached. If they are not, it can lead to insecure attachment. And I have some information on attachment styles pulled up here. You can be one of these or a mixture of all of them, or you can be secure with one person and anxious with another. And 
Okay, so in adults with an anxious attachment style, the partner's often the better half. The thought of living without the partner or being alone in general causes high levels of anxiety. People with this type of attachment typically have a negative self-image while having a positive view of others. Guys, they're literally reading me for filth right now. <laughs> the, the anxious adult often seeks approval, support, responsiveness from their partner. People with this attachment style value their relationships highly, but are often anxious and worried that their loved one is not as invested in the relationship that they are. A strong fear of abandonment is present and safety is a priority. The attention, care, and responsiveness of the partner appears to be the remedy for anxiety. On the other hand, the absence of support and intimacy can lead to the anxious, preoccupied type to become more clinging and demanding, preoccupied with the relationship and desperate for love. Anxious people typically have a sensitive nervous system. Um, like, like I said, I'm a sensitive person, so I do get hurt really easily, but I've learned to hone in my sensitivity and those emotions today because not everyone is out to get me and is out to hurt me. And a lot of those problems have less to do with the world and more to do with me. So they typically struggle communicating their needs directly and they tend to act out or make their partners jealous when triggered. And guys, that is so me. And I have since then healed and that's not me anymore. But like I said, you can be different attachment styles with different people. Okay, so the next one is the avoidant dismissive type. They would often perceive themselves as the lone wolves, strong, independent, and self-sufficient, not necessarily in terms of physical contact, but rather on an emotional level. These people have high self-esteem and a positive view of themselves. The dismissive avoidant type tends to believe that they don't have to be in a relationship to feel complete. They do not want to depend on others, have others depend on them, or seek support and approval in social bonds. Adults with this attachment style generally avoid emotional closeness and they will tend to hide or suppress their feelings when faced with emotionally dense situations avoidant people downplay the importance of relationships they're usually extremely self-reliant and become vulnerable when there's a big crisis going on so my ex would literally freeze me out 90 percent of the time but the 10 percent of the time that something happened to him or that he was crying and he was upset it was like he would become this completely different emotionally intact person and I'm not trying to call out avoidant dismissives or anything, but they kind of tend to have like this God complex things going on. Like I'm the best and nothing I ever say or do is wrong and I don't need anybody. But like I said, guys, this can be fixed. The next one is fearful avoidant. The fearful avoidant type tends to show unstable and ambiguous behaviors in their social bonds. For adults with this type of attachment, the partner and the relationship between themselves are often the source of, so of both desire and fear. Fearful avoidant people do not want intimacy and closeness, but at the same time, they do. They experience troubles trusting and depending on others. They do not regulate their emotions well and avoid strong social attachment due to fear of getting hurt. They are normally more dependent in relationships than the dismissive type. They strongly fear rejection. They have low self-esteem and high anxiety in relationships. I've dated a guy like this and it's it's really hard because they it's kind of another type of push and pull thing. They love you endlessly, but they 
pull away at the same time because the source of their love as a child was also their source of pain and hurt. And I'm the type of person that always would tell my ex, like, and this was a concept that I think was really hard for him to grasp. Like, I can be mad at you and still love you. And that shows like a sign of a secure or mature person because you're able to love them and separate the issue and whatever it is you're dealing with from the relationship itself. So the last one is the healthy attachment style. The secure attachment style implies that a person is comfortable expressing emotions openly. Adults with a secure attachment style can depend on their partners and in turn let their partners rely on them. Relationships are based in honesty, tolerance, and emotional closeness. The secure attachment type can thrive in their relationships and they also don't fear being on their own. They do not depend on the responsiveness or the approval of others and they tend to have a positive view of themselves and others. Secure people can trust fairly easily, they are attuned to their emotions, they can communicate their upsets directly, and they lead with a cooperative and flexible behavior in relationships. And you can look up your attachment style online, like they have a bunch of quizzes to help determine yours. And that was kind of where I messed up because at the time when I was dating Redacted, I was anxiously, anxiously attached and he was dismissive. And you're normally attracted to the attachment style that's opposite of yours or similar to the styles of your parent. And we were in something called like the anxious avoidant trap which is basically where two people with different attachment styles get together and they engage in kind of like a dance of push and pull and one withdraws and the other one pursues. And then when the avoidant partner feels smothered and pulls away, the anxious partner is like feeling anxiety and fearing abandonment. And the anxiously attached person craves more attention and connection and closeness and feels triggered by the avoidant person pulling away and the avoidant person feels triggered by the anxious person's desire for closeness because they value their independence and their freedom and they fear being consumed. And we would go through this dance all the time because the avoidant partner loves being chased and I love giving it and I love chasing him because it was similar to what I went through in my childhood. And so I do want to pause here and say that a securely attached person will always try to, I don't want to say be the bigger person, but they will always try to make amends first. Like, I tried to program myself to act out of love and kindness. Like, if we were arguing, I would try to reach out to them and be like, why don't we talk about this over dinner? Or why don't we calm down before we talk about this? Like, the secure partner will always try to be like the mediator in the relationship but as I grew up and we dated longer my standards kind of got higher and I loved myself more and I healed myself and able to become a more securely attached person so I was secure and he was still avoidant and we could never really sort through any of our issues because he was either super close to me and then he was a brick wall and running away so I kind of got tired of that push and pull, but the fucked up part about these damaged and incomplete people is that they will gravitate towards people who are secure and they will try to rope you in and pull you down to where they are and they want the whole world to hurt like they do. 
And a lot of us want to fall under the blanket of love and partnership and optimism. I mean, it's human nature to feel that way. Like, we want to assume the good in people, but a lot of the times it's just not realistic and we have to know when to let go. Another book I read that helped me heal my attachment style is called Wired for Love. I forget who it's by, but that book literally changed my life. And the main point of the book is basically saying that we as humans are wired for survival, war, and combat. So we have to do the work to rewire ourselves and purposely act out of kindness first and defensiveness second. I read that entire book and annotated the whole thing. And I'm a much better person to be in a relationship with today and the crazy thing is that the entire time I dated my ex he would do all these things and I would send him these books and articles and be like this is all you have to do to save our relationship all you have to do is read this book it helped me be better for you and he would never do it and so we have to stop being so optimistic and start letting these people's actions speak for themselves Our brains are more comfortable with what is familiar than like what is pleasant. And when our brain recognizes a pattern that is familiar, it can identify it. And it takes conscious work to break these patterns and this generational trauma that is developed over time. And so by working through like the things that trigger us and it takes a lot of self-reflection Something I would do, too, is to always, like, if tensions were high, I would be like, let's talk about this when we're both calmed down. Or I would try to slow down and really, really think about the things I say and do before I do them. Because your first reaction is not always the best reaction. A lot of times, what I want to do first is the hurt me speaking, and then what I want to do second is the sane me speaking. So we can heal and create like these fulfilling and satisfying relationships that don't involve constantly chasing and being pursued. And it took a lot of work to heal my attachment style and recognize my own patterns and therapize myself. I recommend journaling because therapy is fucking expensive. So I would write out all my angry thoughts and then sit on it for a couple days and then bring it to my partner instead of right exactly when I was feeling it and allowed me to be more sane and it also allowed me to logically get my feelings out there so whenever I feel complicated feelings now I'm able to stop and ask myself why am I feeling this where does this really come from and a lot of the times the feelings that I'm feeling aren't even directly connected to the person They're rooted in something deeper within myself. So it took a lot of friends and a lot of journaling. But over time, like you can heal and it will get better. One thing that helps me is I try to not really go for people that are the opposite of me anymore. And a lot of the times I try to stop myself from making that decision. Like, y'all, sometimes like it's okay to tell yourself no. Like you do not need this. This person will ruin your life. And we all deserve love and secure partnership where you don't have to worry about them running away. And I hope that that helps a lot of you because we aren't always the victims. Sometimes we are the toxic ones too. And so I've been the toxic one in a relationship before. I've hurt people who didn't deserve it. But all you can do is try to be better now and make amends and be the partner you need to be in the future. And a lot of us focus on finding the right person, but not enough people focus on being 
the right person. So look back at some of these points I made and you can use them to see if you might be hurting others by not being ready to be with them and love them how they need. Because it takes a lot of work and dedication to maintain a relationship and a lot of us aren't ready and it's okay to not be ready. But don't feel bad, guys, because the world tries to make you think that secure is the norm when more than half of the world around you is like insecure and dysfunctional. And hopefully they're on the journey to fix that. But I also wrote down a list of things that can help signal a secure partner. Okay, number one, they're able to regulate feelings and emotions in a relationship. They are strong and goal oriented and they function well when they're on their own. They're great at bonding, opening up to, and trusting others, knowing what they are all about in life and what purpose they want to fulfill. They can communicate their needs effectively. Another thing I also try to look out for is you can look at their relationships with their family. A big sign is how they treat people in customer service, like waiters or people who take their order at McDonald's or the coffee shop. I also look at how people treat my pets and how people treat bugs, and how they drive. Like, if you're an asshole in traffic, like, cutting people off, that can kind of be a sign of, like, a bad person, or if not a bad person, at least, like, an emotionally unregulated person, because that person in traffic literally didn't do anything to you. So, number six on my list is feeling like they have an impact on the world around them. Uh, They are comfortable with closeness and mutual dependency. And that was another big problem that I had with Redacted. Like, I set up the perfect environment in every way imaginably possible for him to be able to depend on me. I was consistent. I was controlled. And a lot of times these um, insecure people, the consistency and predictability really helps them because they were unstable in their childhood so always knowing what you're going to do or always knowing what's going on can kind of help them calm down and so another sign of a secure partner is if they actively seek emotional support from you and are also able to give it back they're comfortable with being alone and use that time to explore and the last thing on the list is that they have a strong capacity to reflect on how they are being in a relationship like a lot of times with redacted (coughs) he struggled to see where he was wrong and even if like three out of five people are like yeah you were definitely wrong he would literally be like I just don't see how I was wrong in that situation and it kind of felt like it was always like my way or the highway with him some things I also like to look out for are positive view of self positive view of others and positive view of childhood I know we're talking about some really heavy topics I mean this is a really heavy episode but I'm glad I can share this with you guys and have a little chatty sesh so with all that stuff out of the way we can finally move on to some crazy reddit posts I picked out for you I have some really good ones here okay number one my 22 female fiance 25 male wants his father to check my hymen tomorrow night before I get married my fiance proposed to me about eight months ago we decided on having a relatively small wedding which is in two days everything was going great he seems absolutely perfect and we are very much in love I'm wondering how long they were together before they got married but 
She says, I'm a virgin and so is he. He wanted to save it for marriage and I wasn't fussed, so I agreed to saving it. He told me earlier that his family checks the virginity of the bride the night before this, the wedding. He said his father will be checking me and I laugh this off as seriously because it sounds like a massive joke. No, turns out he was dead serious. He wants me the night before to open my legs up in a small ceremony type thing so his dad can check me while him and his brothers and uncles can watch so that they know I am still pure. I told him fat chance I'm going to do that and he was begging me to go through with it and how important it is to him. He said that he knew it was slightly embarrassing for me, but his mom did it and it will prove how much I love him and that I have nothing to hide. Anyway, as I'm still a virgin and I left and he was crying, it was very dramatic, TBH. I want to call off the whole wedding because of this and never talk to him again. But at the same time, it's the only it's only the one thing. And other than that, we are genuinely perfect for each other. And I don't want to spend my money or my life with anyone else. And it's very important to him and his family. I don't know what to do. I'm currently at my friend's house and I might stay here for the night. Tomorrow could be our last day as an unmarried couple and I am straight up panicking. Whew, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, I don't think it's just this one thing. Like, it has to be a bunch of other things. And if he's comfortable with having your naked body exposed out on a table for his whole family to see... I don't know, it just, it feels like it's kind of crossing into, like, non-consensual territory, and if you really wanted to check, like, your hymen, I guess you guys could go to the doctor together, they literally, your father is not a doctor, they do that at the doctor, so they definitely, I think she should call off the wedding, because who knows, like, what unreasonable things he might ask of her next, and if this is a culture in their family and they said that the mother did it too just because it's cultural does not mean it's right like in places like India and Dubai and stuff it is their tradition to do FGM which is female genital mutilation and they will take the child around like eight or nine years old sometimes younger and they will cut off parts of the clit and labia so that they cannot feel clitoral stimulation and so that they will not have sex and so just because it's a tradition does not mean it's right number two and this one is really crazy I I have trouble believing this one but it's insane it sounds too real to not be true I 28 male think my girlfriend 28 female has been using my gym socks to wipe after going to the bathroom I don't even know where to start with this. I'm dumbfounded. She just stormed out of the house and I'm sitting on the bed asking myself a lot of questions. I live a pretty normal life and I thought so did my girlfriend. We've been together for a few months and after things got serious, we moved in together. We started sharing a lot of the household responsibilities, but one thing she was adamant on doing was the laundry. She would come home and find me in the bedroom getting the laundry together and would quickly ask me to go do something else. I'd come back to finish the laundry and she would have already started it. I always thought it was sweet and never her job to do it alone but hey 
If it makes her happy to do it all the time, I wouldn't stop her. This is where it takes a turn for the weird. I keep all my socks and underwear in the bottom drawer of my dresser, and I also go to the gym frequently, so I always keep a good supply of clean gym socks ready to go. I never kept count, but I know by just a visual glance, I have several pairs. This morning, when I went to grab a fresh pair to pack for the gym, I noticed there were several dress socks, but no gym socks. Again, not weird they must have just been in the laundry so i went to check the laundry basket and it was empty and i checked the washing machine and the dryer both were empty i couldn't figure out where all my gym socks had gone so i did the very natural thing of asking my girlfriend what happened to them after all she is the one who does the laundry she went silent turned red and ran out of the room when I went after her to see if she was okay, she wouldn't talk to me. I told her I wasn't mad, just looking for my socks. She kind of just mumbled, I don't know. I still wasn't mad, but of course I was super confused. Socks don't just disappear. So I asked her again and even laughed about it. And she just looked at me and got mad and said, I'll buy you new ones. <laughs> The first thought that went through my head was that she had somehow managed to destroy my socks while washing them. I thought the sight of that was actually pretty funny, so I joked with her about ruining my socks. Wrong thing to say. She immediately started crying, like full-on sobbing. At this point, I don't care about the socks anymore. I want to know what's wrong with my girlfriend. I sat down next to her on the bed and put my arm around her and just asked her if she was okay. She just kept saying that she was sorry and that she would buy me new socks. I tried reassuring her once again that it was okay. Even went so far as to say is that I would buy new socks and she didn't have to. I sat with her for a few minutes trying to calm her down and eventually had to get ready for work. I told her that I loved her and got my things together to leave for the day on my way out guys this is it's getting crazy on my way out I grabbed the garbage to take outside when I got outside I lifted the lid off the garbage can and I noticed a small plastic bag sitting on top of the garbage already in there I could see through the bag kind of the semi see-through ones and there were socks in the bag since I was sure she had somehow managed to ruin the socks washing them I wanted to see for myself I opened the bag and immediately regretted my choice there inside the bag were several pairs of my gym socks covered in what looked like poop as soon as the smell hit me i knew it was poop <laughs> number one we don't have any pets we don't have any kids whose poop was on my socks work could wait i couldn't go on the rest of the day wondering why my gym socks were covered in poop and inside a plastic bag in the garbage can i grabbed the bag and walked back inside as soon as my girlfriend saw the bag she flipped out and started yelling at me she said that i shouldn't be going through the garbage and that i was disgusting for bringing it back into the house i asked her to calm down and that i just wanted an answer as to why there was poop on my socks i wasn't blaming her or anything but she started accusing me of blaming her that's when it clicked I don't know what it was that led me to ask this but everything leading up into this moment had just been so crazy I just asked her is this your poop <laughs> and she started sobbing again and ran out of the house I didn't go after her this time so now I'm sitting on my bed with a bag of poopy socks on the floor and a lot of questions in my head the only conclusion is that she used them after going to the bathroom which that alone has its own set of questions above everything else I sent her a text asking her to come back she hasn't responded yet I don't even know what I'm going to say when or if she gets back Guys, there's an update on this one, so I'm just going to read the update. 
Okay, I had to leave for work and now I'm at work. Yes, I threw the bag of poopy socks away. She texted me back and she's clearly embarrassed but felt she owed me an explanation. She said that she didn't want to talk about it in person and that we could discuss it over texting and to not bring it up in person. I'm conditioning the conversation and filling in some of the gaps the best I can. Her responses are super short, but I get the idea. I flat out asked her if it was a fetish. It is not a fetish. She confessed to using the socks after going to the bathroom. I found the reason that she does the laundry is that because she is always hiding the fact that she uses socks to wipe with, primarily her own. I had no reason to question the amount of socks she has ever had because who pays attention to that kind of thing? She thought I would notice and think it was weird since she doesn't own many socks. She admitted that she has done this for a long time. Her reasoning, as best as I could understand, is that because she is a germaphobe, her words and she is afraid of toilet paper and afraid of it tearing and getting on her hands or getting messy in any way so she uses socks because it covers her entire hand after she's done with them she throws them away and she used mine because she didn't have any other socks okay so this cannot be real but at the same time I'm thinking that it has to be real because who could make something like this up? There's so many things that aren't adding up here. So she used a whole drawer of socks. Like, I know she's not shitting that much in a day. She could have easily just, I don't know, went to the store and bought her own pack of socks. But it takes a long time to use a whole drawer of socks. I mean, that's pairs and pairs of gym socks, but... I don't know. And then I feel like if she would have turned them inside out, maybe that would have stopped this problem. At least the poop wouldn't be on the outside. I don't know, guys. This is crazy. What would you do if you found out your girlfriend was using your gym socks to wipe her ass? And I'm like, well, poop comes out. She could have just, I don't know. She could have washed them. I don't know, guys. <laughs> <coughs> This one is really funny. Okay, it says, am I the asshole because I ate more than my share of a six-foot party sub last night? <laughs> what I thought would be a total non-issue has ballooned into a huge problem, and I'm up at 7.05 a.m. dealing with it. I figured while I wait for a text, I could post here to see if what I did was really that bad. I'm a big fat ass. There's no way around it. I love to eat, which probably borders on addiction, but I figure since I'm only hurting myself, it's probably better just to live my life. I have some great friends, although there is no doubt I'm the harmless, harmless, funny token fat guy out of all the otherwise pretty good looking friend group. I guess that sets the stage enough. Last night, my friend hosted a UFC party and I was invited. He got a six-foot party sub. I also brought homemade wings that are sort of my specialty. Well, of course, people flocked to the food and I had basically one serving of the sandwich, but people devoured my wings and I didn't get to have a single one, which is totally fine because that's why I brought them. But maybe an hour later, I was starving. I kept eyeing the sandwich and I'd say there was about three feet of it left. I waited an hour, then another half hour, and no one had had touched it but they were still munching on chips and pretzels and whatnot so I was like screw it I took about half of what was left and I ate it then the laugh half then the last half set for another 10 or 15 minutes and no one said anything so I ate the rest well to be sure as I was swallowing the last bite of the host girlfriend asked where the sandwich was <laughs> like I was the guilty party pretty much everyone pointed at me 
I guess they noticed me eating the sandwich. She was furious and said that I was an incredible pig and that I had been super selfish to eat <laughs> to eat three feet of sandwich. I felt so bad and tried to explain to her that I really did wait over an hour and I thought that people had lost interest. I also tried to explain to her how everyone had ate my wings and she said something along the lines of, You brought them to share, Alan. If someone had eaten over half by themselves, that's not fucking sharing, is it? I offered to order pizza or even to go get Subways, and she said that it was a pathetic offer because the party sub had been from a local shop owned by her friends. I said that I was sorry, but the night was so tense from then on out. I woke up this morning to several texts from my twin sisters, the host's girlfriend's best friends, saying that I had to get my shit under control and that everyone is really mad at me and that I embarrassed myself last night. I tried to explain to them that my mindset was that I was hungry and they didn't respond. Was I the asshole for eating that much of the sandwich last night? Guys... This is hilarious. And then the fact that she called him an incredible pig is just so funny to me. I guess he definitely, he is the asshole here. And I forgot to say, uh, the girlfriend is the asshole for the poopy socks. Um, I think that if there's a party sub, he said there was other stuff to eat, like chips and pretzels. He could have just eaten that. Like, if you know you're like a bigger person and that you tend to eat more than your share of food. Maybe you could have ate something beforehand or filled up on juice or soda or beer or literally anything than eating more than his share of the party sub. I'm just thinking about what would I do if that happened to me? What would I do if someone called me an incredible pig? What do you guys think about this? Was he was he the asshole or was he just hungry? Okay, here's another one. I called my GF hairy legs and now she is angry. I, 27 male, was watching workout videos with my GF, 27 female, on YouTube. And I said, look at the model. Her nickname should be Shiny Legs. And then she asked, what would her nickname be? And I said, Hairy Legs. Well, she got really upset at that. And it's been three days now and she is still upset. Guys, it was a stupid joke. I don't know how to calm her down. Maybe don't call your GF hairy legs. That one was pretty short, but I mean, I think it's cut to the point. I'm just kind of wondering why were they watching workout videos together? But I don't know. I'm not in their relationship. This next one is insane. Okay, wait, was he the asshole for calling his girlfriend hairy legs? Maybe that's like a normal thing for guys or maybe he didn't like think it was something that would offend her. Why? I mean, I think the way to calm her down is to just say sorry. But I don't know. It seems like a direct attack. What do you guys think? Okay, this one is insane. My 26 female boyfriend, 35 male, choked me until I passed out during sex and then waited until he finished to check on me. I'm usually a fan of vanilla sex. My boyfriend isn't. He likes the BDSM side of things. When we first got together five years ago, I had barely done anything other than missionary. He is my second relationship and my third sexual partner. We explored some things and I found out that I enjoy being lightly choked. And by that, I mean having his hand on me. 
nothing more. Last night, we were enjoying our time together and things got weird, uncomfortable, and flat out dangerous. I was lying on my stomach and he was lying on top of me. He started getting more and more aggressive, pulling my hair and pinning my arms at my sides. I didn't argue. In the heat of the moment, it was nice. He started choking me and literally put me in a headlock. I couldn't breathe and started seeing stars and getting tunnel vision. I tried moving my hands, but he had trapped me. I tried to use our safe word, but literally couldn't speak. I couldn't breathe at all and I passed out. When I came to, I was rolled over on my back. I started crying and asked him how long I had been unconscious for. He said that he wasn't sure and that he didn't notice that I had even passed out until he had finished. I told him to get away from me. He had argued that I didn't say anything or tapped out. I said, how could I? You pinned me down and choked me until I passed out. I called a friend and left immediately. He's been calling me all day. He doesn't want me to throw away five years of relationship for a one minute mistake. I'm hesitant to go back to him. I'm afraid. How could he not notice me no longer making noise? I'm super vocal or going limp. My friend says that I can stay with her as long as I want. And for now, I've turned my phone off. One of the last texts he sent me, he said it's just because I'm inexperienced with breath play. And I don't even know what that means. He said that we never talked about what happened if things went too far. And I say that he took all of my options away from me by pinning me down and choking me on until I couldn't speak. I feel disgusting and violated. I briefly thought about filing a police report, but for what? In five years, nothing like this has ever happened. Is this normal? Could it really have been an accident that I'm blowing out of proportion? Did I really just not understand kinky sex? First of all, that is sexual assault, okay? And then he... You can notice when someone is passing out. Like, he had to have noticed her body going limp. And I would have been thinking like, oh, why are my girlfriend's eyes closed? And there are so many things wrong here. She says that she woke up flipped on her back. So he flipped her around and none of us like can know what he did when he flipped her around and to literally finish inside of her. I know he had to have been noticing that she was passed out, even in doggy style. Like you have to hold yourself up some. So He's definitely the asshole and she needs to run, run far away. If nothing like that has ever happened in five years, that means he was probably waiting five years to show his true colors. So <laughs> this one's really funny too. Am I the asshole for forcing my boyfriend to do the dishes? I'm lactose intolerant. Every time I make tacos, my boyfriend always jokes about how I'm disrespecting Mexican culture by not having cheese in my tacos. I told him multiple times that I'm not going to give myself the shits just to make him feel better about my fucking tacos. He's not even Mexican, he's white. This came to a head last night when we were having tacos again. I got up to go to the bathroom and when I came back, I noticed my taco looked tampered with. I go to inspect and lo and behold there's fucking cheese buried beneath the under the other ingredients i told my boyfriend that he was a raging douchebag and went to bed leaving him to do the cleanup i still haven't spoken to him all morning and he's complaining about how i forced him to do the dishes because i normally do them am i the asshole here oh my god oh my god this yes the boyfriend is the asshole. No, she's not the asshole here. Why would he? He literally poisoned her. Knowing that she was lactose intolerant, he literally poisoned her. Like, what if it was a peanut allergy or something? Would he have been sneaking peanuts in his food? And there are a lot of 
traditional Mexican tacos without cheese. Like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? And he should be lucky that he just had to do the dishes and not, like, I guess clean up the bathroom after what happened. Because, like I said in the last episode, guys, I'm vegan. So, this has happened before when... You go vegan for so long, you're basically conditioning your body to be lactose intolerant because it can't tolerate it anymore after years of not eating dairy. So when you do accidentally eat dairy, it is literally explosive amounts of shits, like full on diet fucking Rhea and your asshole burns so bad. So I feel really bad for her here. Um, I find it crazy that she didn't mention how long they've been together because if he would tamper with your taco, like who knows what else he could be doing. Like, I don't know, poking holes in condoms, putting like rat poison and cyanide in her coffee for the morning. Like, no, she's not the asshole here, but do you guys still text your exes? I try not to text my ex because it can be kind of messy, but sometimes I don't know if it's really possible to have, like, an ethical breakup. And I know that I can act ethically, but in the heat of, like, a breakup, it's hard to really determine, like, what would be fair for both parties and what's not, like, biased towards me. But maybe I'm too selfless. Guys, if I'm too selfless, DM me and let me know if I need to be meaner, but I have this really good article from Vice News pulled up, and it's called, Is There Ever a Good Way to Break Up with Someone? It's basically a list of tips you can follow to make sure you're breaking up with someone while maintaining, like, mutual respect for both parties. Number one says, don't ghost. In a poll of almost 4,000 people I did on Twitter, more than 42% said that ghosting in a non-threatening situation is never acceptable. 35% said that it was fine, but only if you've made it official. The rest, a whole 890 people, criminals, (laughs) answered that it's okay to ghost whenever. We're going to ignore them and say that a short and to-the-point conversation is the quick band-aid tug that saves weeks of ignored text messages, confusion, and self-doubt and existential agony. So state your reason, say you know how shitty it feels, but the decision is the right one for you, and serve all that misery up all at once. So that's another thing that I try to do. Like, if I'm going to break up with someone I try to journal it out first and this doesn't even go for just breakups it goes for any heavy conversation journal it out first sit on it for a couple days to make sure that's how you really feel and then when you come to them your thoughts can be clean and put together that's my best approach Number two says, don't lie. I've been tempted to lie before, not to save my own skin, but because I really wanted them to believe that it wasn't their shortcomings that had brought us here. I blame my sickness, my lack of emotional availability, my art. Oh my gosh. I blame my sickness, my lack of emotional availability, my allergies, whatever. I thought that if I took the rap, they wouldn't have to hurt. It turns out that this is some bullshit. Breakups suck and this self-sabotaging dishonesty is the same as giving them a good old-fashioned, it's not me, it's you. So don't embellish your truth to try to make it hurt any less. It's like my grandma always says, you can't put a potato in a wedding dress and call it your wife. (laughs) I'm going to start saying that to people. Don't pretend you're moving to Yemen. Don't say you're getting back with your ex when you're obviously not. And definitely don't bat out the classic, you need to work on yourself before you can love someone else. 
Number three is short. It says, don't tell too much of the truth. Number four says, make it a clean break. The simple truth to a good breakup is someone who didn't treat you badly but wasn't the one for you is... Do what you can to leave them in the best possible position to feel heard, understood, and ready to move on. So don't linger in the doorway and resist the urge to backtrack or throw them a delicious but ultimately deceitful bone. Be clear, but say the uncomfortable and true thing of, I cannot continue this relationship with you. Do it as soon as you're sure it's what you want. Guys, I can definitely second that. Do not linger in the doorway. Don't stare at the window. The best thing is to do it cold turkey and just turn around quick and move on. Number five says in person is usually best. Guys, before I read this, I want to say that I have tried to break up with someone over text before I've done it many times and I think we need to stop doing this because living in like such a digital age like 2022 it's so easy to do everything over our phones because that's how they want it to be and a breakup is such a like intimate and personal thing that you should give it as much respect as when you started the relationship and made the effort to do things in person please do not break up with people over text it never works out well But it says, for start, you have zero idea what the other person is doing. One now happily married guy told me the story. My dog had been ill for a while, and when we decided to have him put down, I was waiting in a room. I just filled out some forms, and my sister was on the way. Anyway, they came to get me so I could be there when they did it. And as I stood up to go, my phone vibrated with a text from my girlfriend saying she couldn't do this anymore. That would literally be insane, guys. Like, that's another thing. You do never know what they're doing. If my dog was about to be put down and my sounds like a shitty girlfriend texted me saying I can't do this anymore, I don't know what I would do. I'd start crying on the floor in a ball. It says another woman found out that her fiance was leaving her via voicemail. I'd listened to it about nine times in a row. What he said wasn't unreasonable. And if he had told me that in person or even over the phone, then sure. But fucking voicemail? That's insane. That is insane. If I had a voice recording of a person breaking up with me, I feel like something like that shouldn't be put in my hands because I would replay it and beat myself up about it every day. So it says a range of time where you can talk face to face somewhere neutral and somewhere where you won't be disturbed and leave as little time as possible between the arranging and the meeting so as to minimize the time spent agonizing on both sides. Number six says don't do it on a picnic. I had no idea this was a real thing but it says that four different people told her stories about getting taken on a picnic and dumped (laughs) then it says maybe it's one serial picnic dumper I don't know but don't do this thank you guys that would be that is so fucked up and manipulative to pack up a beautiful picnic and take someone to a beautiful place to break up with them so manipulative and then it shows how like premeditated it was that's fucked up The last one says to cut it out. Give the two of you both of the time you need to be apart and come to terms with not being one another's person anymore. You rise to the occasion. You don't cower and debate and change your phone number. You sit and you open your mouth and tell them what they need to know to understand the situation. But no more than that. Then you close your mouth, you listen and you nod, and then you leave. You feel bad, you worry about them, but then you get something to eat. You open your mouth again and everyone is fine. That was a really good one. 
I hope that article really helped you guys a little bit because it definitely helped me like try to navigate and navigating the dating world in like the 21st century is a completely different thing than like what it used to be I can't like send a fucking messenger pigeon to break up with my boyfriend I unfortunately I mean this is a modern world and we have to make sure that we're doing it right and I try my best to live my life for me and be unbothered and I personally struggle a lot with finding closure and knowing when to move on because when someone is in the wrong you will always be the villain to them so you might as well do what you want anyway and I spent my whole life learning how to even look at myself so I'm just not in the position to let anyone take that away from me and with redacted it wasn't just like him that hurt and abused me it was his mom too and they both did a lot of things that just kind of hurt me something that's really been helping me let go and you can do this to stuff that happened years ago I write a letter to that person it can be a mental letter or a physical letter or you can keep it in your journal or keep it locked away in a box I write a letter to that person just explaining everything and do not send it to them fold it up and seal it up and let it go that is your closure you write down everything you need to say to them and everything you need to say to wrap up the situation and to move on like guys you have to make your own closure the best way to be a bad bitch and like find closure for me too is to block and move on And the way that they treated you is the closure. And that should be exactly what you need to just be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And that goes for anybody like family, friends, exes, bays. You can apply the strategy to literally anybody. And sometimes I wish the ability, like I wish we had the ability to block people in real life, like black mirror, because people piss me off so much. And it's so hard, like, staying sane in this era of technology in this era of phones and like everything because it just it gives people a lot more temptations than we used to have like back in the old days your husband would ride away to war on horseback and he would write you letters and you knew that he wasn't around any girls but now that I can just like track somebody's location it gives you the ability to always know and I don't think we need to have the ability to always know because it's just going to stress us out but what have you guys been getting into for the fall time I went to a soup party the other day and it was so good they had vegan lentil soup and I brought I went to Whole Foods guys don't blame me I love some Whole Foods and I got a loaf of rustic garlic bread that was recommended to me by my friend and it had real garlic cloves in it guys if you're listening to this right now go to whole foods go to the bread section and try the garlic bread that they have with the garlic cloves in it it's like a round little loaf and I roasted up in the oven with some olive oil and like some salt on top and it was so fucking good and I've been wanting to try lentil soup for a while like it's kind of been on my soup wish list is that normal I mean like do you guys have a soup wish list too I guess it's just like a list of soups that you want to try and I was texting to my friend and she was like what the fuck is a soup wish list okay so 
My favorite soups, my all-time suits are minestrone, mushroom, and squash. My mid-tier soups are potato soup and hmm, probably like a chicken noodle. And my soup wish list, and these are soups I always wanted to try. Italian wedding soup, hamburger soup. I guess lentil soup was on the soup wish list, but I can take that off. And I really want to try like a good traditional tomato soup. And I would really like, like, some clear broth soups. Recently, I've been into the weirdest cravings, like, clam chowder. Guys, mind you, like, I'm vegan. I don't know why I'm craving clam chowder. And when I was younger, my dad was obsessed with the clam chowder in a can. And it would come out congealed and, like, in the shape of a cylinder. And he would nuke it in the microwave and add, like, a shit ton of ch cheddar cheese and pepper on top. And it always looked so nasty and smelled fucking disgusting but now that I'm older and I'm looking back on like some of my memories I'm like hmm maybe he was on to something let me know your super wish list guys like you can dm me at the stoner fairy I want to talk to you guys please talk to me <laughs> and I also went to the crystal shop a couple days ago and got myself a little amethyst and I try to control myself when I go there because I already have so many crystals and I also have a rock collection and I recently just bought a huge selenite wand I know you guys have seen those wands it's just like a big long crystal wand and it was 20 fucking dollars and I sleep with it under my pillow every night and I also just got a celestial that I put under my pillow to make me have crazy dreams my favorite crystal is probably my Moldavite necklace I really like that one but Moldavite can do some crazy things to your life y'all I found that crystal on TikTok and the girl was literally saying like I got my Moldavite and within one week I literally lost my job broke up with my ex had an abortion it was literally insane and I've kind of experienced some similar things like don't get that unless you're really experienced because Moldavite is super powerful. They say that what it does as a crystal is it will it will basically speed up anything that's supposed to happen and make it happen right now. And it will also take things out of your life that it doesn't think that you need anymore. So hmm, I also really like a good opalite crystal. Like... Ooh, opalite and angelite look so good, but feel free to DM me your favorite crystals or your crystal suggestions or your boyfriend horror stories. I'm glad you guys could join me in my little rant today. I know we talked about a lot, but I'm glad I could get this out of my system. You know we have to smoke a bowl before you go, so I'm just going to pack my little bowl here. Guys, <clears throat> if there's anything you took from any of this, please do not text your ex. Don't look them up on Instagram. I don't care. Like, literally, just go do something else. And before I leave, I want to give you guys a couple of song recommendations. These are two of my favorite songs to smoke to right now. Is Ya by Kendrick Lamar and Soft Sounds from Another Planet by Japanese Breakfast. Both of these are really good songs, so just give them a listen and report back to me. Um, oh, oh my gosh, guys, what is your favorite uh, Thanksgiving food? 
I don't really celebrate Thanksgiving. I mean, I don't really celebrate the colonizers' holidays. But one of my favorite Thanksgiving foods is probably mac and cheese or stuffing with, like, the canned cranberry sauce. And I specifically like the canned kind with, like, the little ridges. It's so bad. But call me gross if you wanted to. But I used to eat it by itself when I was younger. And I love how you can slice it exactly. And it's like a perfect circle. <laughs> but I love you guys. And I hope you are making the best of this last week of November. We're almost there. We are almost there to the new year. So just hold on a little longer. I hope you guys are hopefully spending some time with your loved ones or spending some time with your family or if you're alone on Thanksgiving like me like do some self-care smoke a joint take a little bath but I love you guys and tune in for the next episode next week I don't know what I'm going to talk about but it's probably going to be crazy bye